This is We Are Netflix, Netflix employees talking about work and life at Netflix. I think there's something so core to who we are as humans, making pictures, actually drawing as a child. Everyone did that. And then a huge percentage of the population stops. And then there's another subset of the population that didn't. And they become artists. They become designers. They become animators. I'm Lyle Troxell. And in this episode of We Are Netflix, part two of our two-part animation series, In part one, we heard from creative executives Melissa Cobb and Mike Moon. In this second part, we'll talk to two of the people who guide and support our creative production teams. Phil Rinda is creative director, and James Baxter is director of character animation. They're a part of our animation studio, where multiple teams of artists, writers, and producers create our original animated shows and movies. Both James and Phil are well-known in the animation world. Phil Rinda is an Emmy Award-winning artist who provided character designs for Adventure Time, Gravity Falls, and many other productions. Phil was also VP of Animation Development and Nickelodeon before he joined Netflix. James Baxter has been a driving force in some of the most influential animated titles of the last 20 years. He was the supervising animator of the character Belle in Beauty and the Beast, Quasimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Rafiki in The Lion King, and Valka in How to Train Your Dragon 2. I started by asking Phil why animation is such a powerful way to tell stories. What I love about animation is that you really can feel the human beings behind it, the team that came together to make this thing. There's so many humans that touch every single frame, and that's incredible for me. When I watch, when I watch live action and a character walks into a, uh, into a bedroom and they sit on the corner of their bed... I don't really think about who designed the textiles on that bed or who designed the bed itself or who put the lights on that set. If it's beautifully done, maybe. Sure. And there's great production designers that do that and they, and they may, they may pull something together beautifully. But as a viewer, I don't really notice that as much. But in animation, because you start from zero, you have nothing. Right. It just, it makes me so excited about every single decision on screen and thinking about like, oh, someone chose to make that that bed cover this color in this scene so specifically. And again, this does happen in live action, but there's something about the, it in the animation. Complete creation of the world that's really different. Yep. Blank yeah. page. Nothing exists. Like you don't go out and location scout. You don't go find the beautiful location. You have to build it from the ground up. And I think it's a piece of why people connect with animation is that it is 100% a world that does not exist until it's on that screen, Mm. you know, and it might be referenced, you know, might, it might pull inspiration from reality in lots of ways, but it only exists for that story, for that moment. It's almost by definition, the, the match of media of this form, right? Like other things are reproducing the real world. This is completely designed for the medium of, of film, if you will. James, do you have anything to add to this idea of why it's yeah, a wonderful Yeah, I form? agree with like the fact that because it's not real, um, it sort of does sort of a mainline to your emotions. It's sort of like eating sugar or listening to music. These are not things that exist in nature. Processed sugar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> we are evolved to love it yeah. because it you know, gives us... Easy calories, right? <laughs> How is animation like this? 
I feel it gives you like a, a mainline uh, to like a, an emotional experience um, that we are searching for in, in in the real world. But because it can sort of get to that side of your imaginative side of your brain instantly, you're encased in this sort of imaginary experience. Um, Why more so than, you know, theater or something? Well, I think theater kind of can do it too. Okay. In a, in a, yeah, in a different way. But there's a there's visual things for me which happen with animation. I don't know if that's just because I am visual, uh, but there's visual things which sort of kick off pleasure <laughs> in my brain when I watch it happen. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think there's something so core to who we are as humans: making pictures, actually drawing as a child. Everyone did that, and then a huge percentage of the population stops, and then there's another subset of the population that didn't, and they become artists they become designers they become animators they become cartoonists like i think it's easy to connect to it because Mm -hmm. it's like everyone was that person everyone had a moment in their life where they created images somehow um and then you kind of can flash back to that 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 version of yourself and you can see things that are really exciting there's also a, a generational and a cultural thing, especially in the States, of having this family experience going to watch an amazing animated movie, which connects, you know, you're drawing and then you're seeing characters you know, and then you're with your family and you're seeing a big film. There's, like a, there's a bit of that that feeds it as well, where it always feels, I think one of the things I, I had trouble with adult uh, animation early on was feeling like I was being surprised on my expectations of what it was. Now I love that. <laughs> um, but Interesting. Okay, I'm going to ask you if it's all about the people, Phil, about mm-hmm. like seeing their work and kind of knowing that there was all these people involved. How do you create a culture that makes those people productive and happy and being able to create that amazing work? It's the hardest question to answer because it's also like kind of the biggest goal. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Like, so we haven't achieved people. that. We're working on that. Well, we're still working on it. Right. And I hope it's something we're always working at. Right. Like, I hope that we just get better and better at it and we just continue to figure out new ways and things might change. And the, the people that are inside the studio, the type of work that we're doing might change this, the kind of the creative culture. I think a lot about inspiration as a motivator. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think a lot about curiosity as a big motivator for people. It's commercial art. Right. So, like, people are getting paid to do a job. And they're being asked to do something very specific for their shows, from their directors, from their supervisors. They have deadlines. And all of those things are good motivators. And those are, and those are ways that um, you have to bare minimum stuff that will happen for you as a commercial artist. Mm-hmm. But, like, how do you want to be even better? You know, how do you want to, like, just keep leveling up and keep moving forward and just get really excited. And I just think about myself and I think about those moments in my career where I would be so pumped and am so pumped to come to work every day, knowing that there are people around me that are just light years ahead. And it's really challenging, right? Like when you're, you know, you know, it's a broad generalization, but like artists can be really hard on themselves creatively because there's part of that that's you need that right because if you're not looking at your work and adjusting it all the time then you're not growing and so you kind of have to build in as a critique of yourself as uncomfortable as that is yeah and i think that what's so challenging with being an artist 
is that it's not about technical ability. It's not going to the gym and lifting weights. It's not, I can only lift 150 pounds. I want to be able to lift 200 pounds, which that 200 pounds is the same for every single person. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something about the creative journey. I want to be a better artist. That is not, it's not as easy as leveling up in this way. Right. There's and no I think clear boundaries. Or no. And I think what people do is they look at their peers and they say, I want to be a great animator. I want to be James Baxter. Right. And the truth is that like, you'll never be James Baxter. Well, he will. Because he's the only one who can be, right? Because yeah. he is James. But like, if, if you, you can be great and be you. And I think that's what's so tough. But do you, you mean that's so tough because the constant idea of like, well, which benchmark do I have to improve myself? Oh, here's an amazing person. I love all those skills. I want to be able to be able to like that. And that's not atta- attainable. Yeah. So you're kind of always failing person. to be the amazing people you see around you. You have to get comfortable in who you are and also be able to communicate you know, for the job, but it's tough. So that's why I think finding inspiration around you, being inspired by the work that's happening, that may challenge you. It may not be what you aspire to be necessarily, but it, it, it's, it's exciting or challenging in a weird Mm -hmm. way. Like I think that can be uh, an inspiring thing. And then, and then allowing yourself to be challenged is that piece of this kind of curiosity that I think is so important. Like, do, do you, let me back on about this, this vulnerability. I mean, do, do you invite people to be vulnerable about their own feelings of shortcomings in one-on-ones and things? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that's a big part of, of our job. Do you do know? that, James, as well? Yeah. I mean, Phil, especially, he's sort of like the chief artistic therapist at the studio. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you go, you know, you meet with everyone on a regular basis and have a little session with them and you talk about their work and it's a safe place to be with Phil and you can talk about like the stresses you're having with your show or like what you want out of your show and he'll guide you through it. And, yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, I'm not meeting with every every single person at the studio, you know, hopefully as my team grows out, we will be meeting with every single person. My door is always open um, for for anyone. I sit with our our directors, our filmmakers, our showrunners, our kind of creative leadership regularly, mm-hmm. to James's point. And it's really hard. This stuff's hard. Animation is a, it's a beautiful medium, but it's the hardest way to tell a story. You cannot pick a harder way. The simplest way is theater or stand-up comedy or something. Yeah, Get on the stage, someone tell talking. your story, sure. right? Do it in real time. Yeah. That would be a good start. That would be a good start, <laughs> you know? Then there's the like, oh, let's tell a story about a dinner table. Okay. Or like a, a, a scene, a family scene at a dinner table. Okay, great. Let's get a dinner table. Let's get some real people. Let's put some real food in front of them and film that scene. Right. And then there's our crazy version, which is that part I'm so excited about is like every meatball needs to be designed <laughs> yeah. by by six people and modeled yeah, every and twitch of the finger and yeah. move the eyebrow and yeah. all of that. Yeah. But like because of this process, there's a lot of room for growth and discovery and also anxiety. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you're ripe for questioning yourself and questioning your intentions. And I do think it's one of the best parts of the medium and one of the reasons why animated stories can last the, you know, the test of time in a big way, because people are honing them, refining them, really looking at, um, at those things. Like, like you're saying, like every twitch of a, of an eyebrow, someone made that decision. So there can be real intention behind it. You know, you look at the, the greatest actors of all time and it is, everything can be so controlled. Right. And we have the benefit of time. 
So we can make those decisions and really look at all of these kind of micro decisions and, and say like, does this help our story? And a great, and even a great really controlled, like defined actor that's moving everything appropriately and everything. They're not consciously thinking about how much that eyebrow is going to move, right? It's, it's a subconscious kind of runtime of what their emotion is, which of course we all emote to really well. So that works really well. But in animation, you, you, you don't have that benefit. You've really got to translate that into movement, which is a totally hard thing to do. Um, I want to talk a little bit about things you've loved that you've seen. James, what's your, one of your favorite shorts or a short that maybe I haven't seen short? that I should? Yeah. Uh, most of my stuff is super old school. So I th- probably my favorite short is Feed the Kitty. Feed the Kitty, okay. Which so is a Chuck Jones uh, short with uh, the bulldog Mark Antony and this little cat that he uh, adopts and befriends. It's just got some of the greatest uh, nonverbal expression acting ever. Is that the short where the, the cat Where he is thinks like... he's going to get cooked and, and, and made into a cookie? The, he's got this little cat, and and he befriends his little cat. Yep. And he, he loves it, and, and is it's he like, like, is he like clawing into his skin? Yeah, and, and he's loving like, it. He and loves like, it, but it's and, also and hating it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's and great. Then, That's and then great. There's this disastrous part later on where he thinks he's getting, uh, where he thinks his little cat is getting cooked in the, oh. <laughs> in the oven. He's not, but Mark Antony is just like he goes through these incredible. Uh, so that's like I think it was just my favorite short cartoon. Um, my favorite series uh, is. One that I like really late, lately, which is you worked on, is uh, Over the Garden Wall. I love, love, love that, and watch it every year for Hall- why for Halloween. Mm. <laughs> and you worked on that? I did. Yeah, what I worked on that. I uh, I was the creative director over the shorts program at Cartoon Network. So uh, the pilot came out of that. Uh, and Pat McHale, who I worked with on Adventure Time, created that show, and it was a really special pilot and then when when it got moved into when it got greenlit to become this miniseries of Cartoon Network I helped Pat with some of the characters and worked on a few episodes of the show it's awesome it's unique in animation Pat's a unique human and yeah like that experiment at Cartoon Network was really exciting and it's kind of rad because I feel like we have lots of projects that yeah it's, it reminds me of like the sort it's like a first step along the path that we seem to be treading right now and that's one of the reasons I really like what we're doing as far as the whole artistic support thing but just Netflix in general is that because we don't have this sort of set way of doing things mm-hmm. uh, and I kind of want to maintain that a little bit so that uh, filmmakers can come in and, and if they have a way that they want to try something we can go you know it's not nice to be able to say oh well, we don't do that here you know no no let's let's try that that sounds crazy we should try doing it that way you want to try it that way let's do it one of the exciting things about doing it is being able to Kind of tap some of those resources and go, oh, you you want to collaborate with this musician or this person or whatever it is? Well, let's see if we can make that happen. We can't promise, but we can try because we don't have a set way of doing it. You know, that's really super exciting. James, you've mentioned your favorite short and favorite series right now in just kind of a, a rough way. Can you name the favorite piece of yours that you've done? That's awful for an animator to have to try and figure out what their favorite piece is. Um... I don't know. I mean, the thing that people probably talk to me most about is is Beauty and the Beast. I think. Yeah, but it's the, the Lion King. Are you are you the most happy with Belle? Or uh, no, I'm probably not the least happy with Belle, but <laughs> but it's close because I was really rather young and not uh, just for like 
uh, I, I'm quite happy with some of the animation I did sure. in it. Like I think the ballroom scene turned out good, and some of the other stuff I did turned out good. Uh, but uh, in terms of leading a, a whole crew of artists to be able to do that character consistently mm-hmm. through the film, I don't think I did a good job at all. <laughs> um, it's interesting because this totally relates to what you were saying, Phil, about the artists like critiquing themselves, right? And even James did it. <laughs> it's really common for uh, artists and animators and, and stuff to look at the films that they've made in a completely different way than, than sure. the audience does because of the experience of making it. Yeah. Can I ask you a, a version of the same question? Yeah. Is thinking about all of the characters that you've worked on, who was the most fun? Rafiki. Why? Because I just got to sit in my room and do the whole thing and... and because he's only in the movie for like five minutes, so I pre- pretty much got to animate every shot of him. There's maybe like a, less than a dozen shots I didn't do of him. So it was just fun to be able to have that. It was just so much fun just to kind of like just... And I didn't normally get that kind of assignment, just the quirky little side character. You know, I was usually working on some main character right. as part of a bigger group or something. So it was really fun just what, to How did like, you get that character then? Did you I say came I late. I came oh. late. <laughs> Basically, I, I I had left Disney uh, for a year, and I came back on The Lion King. Um, and uh, I think Don Hahn actually first sent me a couple of sketches of Timon. He said, do you want to do this? And I actually sketched him for like two days before. They go, oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Somebody already said it. Do, 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 yeah, yeah. do, do the monkey. Um, but that movie was already going, so I think that's part of the reason why. The- why is a monkey fun to animate? He was just really fun uh, just because of his sort of you could do acting choices which were quirky and bizarre and like try and get into that side of yourself. Like, how do I hold my body when I'm like up on two legs, even though I'm not supposed to be? And like, yeah, that's cool. Do weird things like turn your head upside down. And yeah, it was yeah. just, it was just really fun to, and he was kind of a provocateur. He was kind of like, he would poke at people in a fun way. So that was really just fun to go through that and like, think of ways to do that. The Lion King was, you know, big for me. As a kid, uh, I loved it. Saw it in the theaters. Rafiki was easily my favorite character. Oh, thanks. Man. And then <laughs> it's true. Uh, and my sister, when it came to home video, my sister watched The Lion King every day. So it became almost unwatchable for me because how much my sister loved it. Is this why you're in animation? Yes, yeah, because because of my little sister ruining animation for me. But but Rafiki, I could every time Rafiki was on screen, I could watch it. Um, and I think it, you know. I think that character really did help me fall in love with the medium because yeah. it's mostly pantomime. There's lots of really broad expression, but there's also these moments, these kind of quiet, soft moments where, you know, where Rafiki does something or says something, whether it's, you know, smears the paint on the wall or says something to Simba um, to kind of like... He does that cool thing where Robert Guillaume, he did this, look hard, and he does that awesome thing with his voice and I was like oh that's so juicy I just want to get into that and do something really cool with that it's such a powerful character I'm glad Phil I'm glad to hear you talk about prior to being an animator what that was like because when I asked you earlier why animation is so important you talked about all the people behind it knowing all these things that only a person that does animation actually knows so it's neat to see that that stuff comes through anyway even if you don't even if you're not aware that somebody chose the light on the bedspread I think that one of the things that happens to people when they fall in love with animation is they realize that there are people making this thing. And like once you, once that happens, it's incredible, right? Like I, I, I loved, you know, grew up on Disney films, watched, watched these films with my family all the time. And, 
Um, and then I loved comic books and in comics, it's really clear, right? Like you, you know, the credits of the comics say who penciled it, who inked it, who wrote it, who colored it, who lettered it. And, and all the names are really match what they do. They're right amazingly. there. It's very, it's very simple. Um, loved comics. And then kind of reading comics and getting into comics kind of transitioned me sort of into like indie filmmaking, which then brought me into anime again as like kind of a young teenager mm-hmm. thinking about stuff. And then through kind of discovering anime, it reminded me of those films that I loved as a kid. And I went back and I started, I pulled out the VHS, you know, cassettes and those giant clamshell boxes that we all had, you know, our, <laughs> our VHS cabinets that we had in our houses. Uh, and I went back and, and rewatched some of those films. And I was like, holy shit, these are people doing incredible drawings, doing things with the drawings that are unbelievable. I, I would, I need to eat this up. I need to learn more about this. I need to figure this out. This is, this is what I, what I want to do. Yeah. I love drawing, yeah. but all of a sudden it was like this weird thing unlocked where it was like, there are people making this and I want to understand what they're doing. And I want to be one of those people. When you see other people that want to be one of those people and they want to work for Netflix and you get their portfolio, what are you looking for? I have lots of answers to this question. I'll try to kind of break it into two categories. So one is if I'm looking at a portfolio and I really have a job, in my head, I'm thinking about, can this person do that job? Right. That, that's easier, right? That's easier. Yeah. yeah, it's easier because it is a little bit of like, I have a square hole. Is this person a square peg? And you don't have work? to generically just go, can this person do amazing things? Which is a very hard thing to say, right? But if you go, oh, can this person do this thing I need? It's a little easier to answer. Yeah. Okay. And I think that like... So that's, for, a, that's a lot of luck then. There's a lot of luck in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also have to understand like, do I believe that based on this body of work that this person can do something that maybe they're not showing me, but have they showed me enough things to let me say, let me feel confident that they could do it, even if they're not literally showing it to me. Um, And I think that's what like some of the best, you know, our recruitment team's incredible. They have that ability. Are any of our hiring managers on our shows are looking at that kind of stuff? Of course, they first and foremost are like, can this person do it? And and are they showing me that they can do it? And then if not, am I confident that they could do it based on what they're showing me? So that's a piece of it. And the other piece of it is like, um, and this is a, you know, a hard one um, for some people to swallow. And, and I taught at CalArts for a long time is like the work has to feel professional in quality, even if it's not professional work. So you can do this work as a student. It can be for your film, but I need to make sure that I think that you have the right brain to do this in a professional environment. And I think that comes down to almost a control Hmm. and an aptitude for like, I am thinking about what, what I am illustrating, what I'm drawing, what I'm painting. And you are seeing the results of that thought process. I talk, I talk sometimes about people who do um, accidental good drawings and uh, I would they drew say, something and then they select of their 50 things for yeah, them that are amazing. One, and yeah, this one, really good. And well, it, what's interesting is when people are doing that, often they don't create a portfolio of great work because when they're doing accidentally, when they're accidentally doing great drawings, they don't really know oh, what's good or what's bad. I so do, their portfolio. I do better have. drawings when I animate than when I just sit and draw. I believe it. Because I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to tell a story and I'm trying and part of the way through the animation when you're just putting things in the right place because they have to be in a certain place to make the movement work, uh, you, the drawings almost end up kind of doing themselves. Right. 
because you're like, oh, it's got to be there because this has to be there and that has to be there. And like, oh, look, that's kind of a cool drawing. And there's I that, didn't know I was doing a cool drawing. And there's that aspect of being forced and limited that helps you kind of like, well, you have to do it. And, I mean, a limitation, I think, in some ways really does help creativity. Yeah, a structure and, and definitely uh, a, an end goal. Like, I, I, I'm not doing this drawing to do a cool drawing. I'm doing this drawing because I'm trying to tell this story. Interesting. So you're looking for that when you see a portfolio? Sometimes, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, to think about kind of James's process and to almost analyze it a little bit, I think that in those moments, you do a drawing that you could have never planned. Right. You could have mm-hmm. never had a blank piece of paper and said, I'm going to do a drawing of this emotion, this staging, this composition. Right. But you found it by going through a really complicated thought process of animation. <laughs> right. Um, and by doing that, you, you create something that is, is unique for that particular thought and that unique, unique moment, that character, whatever they're thinking, whatever they're doing, that is only works in that, that moment, which I think is really exciting. Um, so yeah, some people can do it, right? You see a lot of student portfolios that's like characters just standing with their hand on their hip. Mm. Um, or you see a lot of like assignments. You can feel like, oh, this is the assignment from the teacher. Uh, and it may be a, a great design. It could be a great drawing. It could be a great painting technically. But like, again, there's not the story or the thinking behind it. You need more than that. Yeah. yeah. So like, I, I like to look at a drawing and say like, if if I see a person standing and if they're like a... I don't know, a heavier person. I want to look at that and be like, does that have, like, do I believe that this heavier person's stands comfortable? Right. Stands this way? Or if they're not, if are they not comfortable, is it on their face that they're not comfortable? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, we're, like, and if I can get a little piece of that, if, if, if that art can inspire me to think about that a little bit more, I get more excited. Interesting. Um, what about the, it sounds to me, earlier you said something about commercial art, you know, we're mm-hmm. doing commercial stuff, we're getting paid and things of that nature. Is there that that you need to see in there as well, that they can do something indirect for, you know, being directed to or need to uh, be a commercial artist? Is it, do you need to see that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there's a little bit of that. It's again, like, is a team sport. So I want to be able to look at, at work and say, like, do I believe this person can, can work on a team or can be additive to the team? What's been so exciting about Netflix is that, um, it's the first job I've ever had where I can walk around a big expo or a, a, or a school and, and like, I can walk in with confidence and say, there's probably a job for every single one of you. If you are great, if you're truly great, we, pro- we have a need for what you do, even without knowing what their taste is yet. Because, oh, because we have such a broad interest. Because we have it. such a broad interest of stuff, right? So, like, in the past, it would, the, you know, the goal was n- more narrow, right? Mm-hmm. At, at um, you know. You're looking for Cartoon Network artists or Disney artists yep. or uh, studios that have more of a brand and a uh, one way of doing things. Yep. And then it was really. Interesting. So, the fit of how the person was really whether they'd fit that style. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I like there are people who are awesome kind of character designers in this kind of feature aesthetic that in all of my past jobs, I could see that work and get really excited by it as a fan, but I could never really work with those people. And now I get to sit down and look at this work and be like, oh, this person is A, amazing, and B, we have projects they might be great for, um, which is really exciting. And I'm a, I'm a nerd, right? Like I am a across the board 
nerd for drawings and animation and cartooning. So like when I see people do weirdo outsider cartoonist art, I can love that just as much as I can love someone who's doing like the classic built on the shoulders of the Disney giants animated feature style. I can love both of those things equally. Uh, and I finally have a, a crazy job where <laughs> I might be able to help. I might be able to help both of those people because we <laughs> James, sort of have. It's those a good time to be an animation student, by the way. Yeah, I would imagine. And yeah. you're actually you, earlier before the mics came on. You mentioned that you were just going to college tonight to do a talk. Yeah. with students. Yeah, so you're working with students. Yeah. Why is it a great time right now to be an animation student? There's a lot of animation to do. <laughs> we need a lot of animators. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, with like Netflix and then other services coming on, online for streaming, and everyone's really hungry for content. There's just so many things being made. That's bottom line. It's just very simple and just, good things. Yeah, like I think that you know, looking at the at the slates at every studio, it's incredible. Like there's some really exciting stuff. I think that the bar, the industry has changed. The bar is is raised across the board, and and. People have to make awesome things and and really push their storytelling. Really push, you know, the the types of stories that we're telling in in film and television. It's really exciting. What would you recommend for the college student who's like, yeah, I want to do this, what, or the person who's about to go to college? Like, what what kind of recommendations do you have to to get the stuff to, to be able to produce in a, a portfolio that you would think, yeah, that was that fits? Uh, you've often said that. Um to try and tailor your portfolio to the job that you're trying to go for yeah. as a, as an aspiring or someone that's just coming out of college and you're not just to have like one portfolio that you just cast to the, to the wider world um, to kind of tailor make it like, okay, I'm going to apply to cartoon network to do this thing. Uh, I'm going to like curate my portfolio a bit for that specific mm-hmm. task or that would be or, harder at netflix because we don't have a style <laughs> well, we don't but we have projects right so like when you know you know if if you're speaking with one of our recruiters and you they've they've responded to your work in general um if if you can get a sense of a little more specificity about the particular project or the type of project then you should tailor it i think that's really hard for students to do. The analogy I use is like, you want to be a spear fisherman versus a net fisherman. Mm. Like you want to make sure that you have the right tool to get that particular job. That's the spear hunter, right? Whereas if you're going to, if you're going to create a portfolio that you're going to throw in the water and just hope that fish swim into it and hope that the holes in your net are going to catch the right fish, that might be the right way to go. But I think it's a little bit riskier because you're basically saying, well, I'm going to put my work online and I'm going to hope that people find it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you say, I am really funny and I want to tell funny stories and I want to make sure that I show that in my portfolio with my samples, that's great. That helps every studio, not just us. That helps everybody say, oh, this is a funny person who wants to work on funny stuff. I mean, the glib answer is to do good work, kid. Um, but... There's things you can definitely do. And Alex Hirsch actually said something in a recent event we were at, which made me think of, about how to make sure that your work online is is easily um, sought out or easily recruitable. <laughs> you know, to make sure that you're you're not you have a special place for your work online. That it, it that is you have a sort of portfolio online. It's not just artwork that you put on on another blog mixed in with family photos or whatever. <laughs> you have a special place for your art. It's got your contact info on it. 
uh, because you know. Can you say that one more time? You know, <laughs> it's got your contact info on it, all over it. So because is this you know, common that you get a portfolio? You don't know who it is. Well, no, it's it's very common for like creators or someone like Alex Hirsch to be like going through Instagram and finding a that's a really cool piece of artwork. I wonder who did it, and not being able to find the person. This happens all the time. all the time, all the time. Oh, that's so. Hard. To make sure your artwork, if you're hoping to use it as a calling card, to make sure that we can call you. Yeah, yeah. The, the, calling part, the calling part of the calling card. Um, yeah, it's really important. Uh, and yeah, so obviously do good work. Make sure you are reachable. And uh, do some outreach yourself. You know, you can uh, call the main number at studios and ask for their recruiting department and say, who do I send my portfolio to or link to my portfolio to? You know, they like to collect that stuff. How are we doing on hiring? We have a lot of roles that still need to be filled. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I mean, Mm -hmm. our recruitment team is incredible. And um, it's a constant deluge of people looking for jobs and then also helping to try to sort those people and and put the right people in front of filmmakers is tough, right? So, you know, because you really, you as an applying artist, of course you want to get the job but you want to make sure that the people seeing your work are the right people seeing your work that they're seeing the work in the right context and you want to get the job that fits you you don't want to get thing you're like shoehorning yourself into and mostly uh, here in california we're hiring storyboard artists and designers character designers and and production designers uh but because of all the volume in the work other studios around the world that we're working with and other studios are going to be working with they're having to size up too so places in canada here in the united states but also places in canada and france and you know, wherever animation gets done, they're looking for animators and background painters and and compositors and yeah. you know all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's tons of opportunity out there right now. And to James's point earlier, like it's a great time to be an animation student, but it's also a great time to to be an animation professional. You know, like yeah. it's incredible. There's people, you know, doing things that you know they haven't been able to do in years with films like klaus um and then just opportunities everywhere yeah it's really exciting all right i've got one more question for you both what are you watching right now what am i watching right now we start uh my wife and i just started watching rhythm and flow okay uh, on netflix love it yeah we're uh I we do a lot of reality competition shows as sort of our kind of get home, you know, kids go to sleep and put that stuff on and uh and it's been really fun to watch. You know, it's really fun to watch, you know, the, this the potential of for people's dreams to come true, nice. right? Like that's so cool and it's just a good cast. Uh Chance the Rapper seems like the nicest person on the planet. Cardi B seems like a like just hilarious yeah. so it's really fun i like finding people that you like their work and then you like who they are that always feels good <laughs> james what about you I, i'm watching the dark crystal i was a big fan of the original yeah. uh you know as part of my 80s uh formative years in film with uh, all those fantasy films so yeah i was really excited when they started making one. and then even more excited when i saw they were doing with puppets and yeah going back to a lot of the original look and technique which is really fun the documentary for that is really great yeah, too very cool yeah. thank you james and phil for being on we are netflix thank you for having us yes. hope we did a good job thanks i give a thumbs up nice yes we are netflix is hosted by lyle troxel he's a senior software engineer at netflix you can keep up with we are netflix on facebook twitter instagram and youtube 
To learn more about careers at Netflix, go to jobs.netflix.com. <laughs>